1964, the movie The Best Man was released. It was a political drama based on a play that was released a few years earlier. Its plot involved two political candidates in the same party vying for the presidential nomination. Now, at the time, Ronald Reagan was an actor in Hollywood. He was actually turned down for the lead role in the movie because, as an executive put it, he did not look presidential. How ironic that a guy who didn't look presidential enough to play a presidential candidate in a movie turned out to become a real-life two-term president. That's how irony works. It gives us the opposite of what we expect. The Bible, of course, is not simply just a, a work of literature, but it does employ irony on numerous occasions. And this section of Judges is one of those. Let me show you what I mean on this episode of By the Verse. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on By the Verse. This podcast is all about God's Word. If you've been listening to us for a while, or maybe this is your first episode, I want to encourage you to like and share this material. Uh, just You can share an episode, or you can like it, or even when we post little clips, uh, you can share and like those, and that just helps our podcast out. Well, we've been walking through the book of Judges one chunk at a time, one or two chapters at a time, and on our last episode, we talked about uh, a judge that, quite honestly, he was good and he was bad. He was a hero, and in some ways, he was a villain. Well, our next judge has some of those same characteristics, albeit in a much more dramatic fashion. Samson is not only the last uh, judge in the book, he's the last major judge. Of course, the framework, the spiritual framework of judgeship extends beyond the book of Judges into 1 Samuel, with Samuel himself being the last judge. But Samson's story is going to occupy about four chapters, and it will graphically illustrate the spiritual condition of the people of Israel at the time. Now, let's uh, pick it up at verse 1 in chapter 13. And the people of Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. But as 
uh, we said in the previous uh, lesson, the Ammonites uh, had been oppressing some of the central and northern tribes, and that's on the other side of the Jordan River, the east side of the Jordan River, and to uh, some extent, just a little bit on the west side. Okay, We find out in chapter 10 of the book of Judges that the Ammonite oppression and the Philistine oppression are happening at the same time. They last for different amounts of time, but they are happening concurrently. Okay, The real difference is that the Ammonite oppression seems to have been more brutal, uh, more influential on the east side of the Jordan, but the Philistine oppression would have been mostly felt in the southern part of Israel, which would include the tribe of Judah. Now, a family from the tribe of Dan is uh, central to this story. Now, the Danites at the time occupied a section of land on the west that touched Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. That's not necessarily where they were supposed to inherit, but if you go all the way back to chapter 1, the Danites not only did not run out the inhabitants of the land uh, from the area that they had been promised, but they were actually overrun by them and pushed out. And so the result of this is that they settled in other places. So the Danites should have been way up very north. But in this area, many of them had settled in this territory that borders these southern and central tribes. Now that situated Samson and his family very near the traditional cities of the Philistines. Now, we're not told anything about his parents except for his father's name, his tribe, and hometown. We're not even told his mother's name, even though she's actually the central figure of the first part of Samson's story. Now, this is where the story of Samson begins to parallel others in the Bible, as well as ultimately Israel's true deliverer, Jesus Christ, who would be born into the world some 1,200 years later. Now, Samson's mother is visited by the angel of the Lord, and of course, we do think that this is a Christophany, and the angel tells her that even though she has been barren, she's not only going to conceive, but she's going to bear a son. Now, right here, we should note that the most common miracle performed for women in the Bible, Old Testament and New, is the ability to have a child, okay? It's a very powerful thing. And so that is why it is the most common miracle that women receive in the Bible. Now, this story should remind you of Sarah, Abraham's wife, who also bore a promised child. And that's what Samson is. He is a promised child in much the same way that Isaac was a promised child. John the Baptist was a promised child and Jesus was a promised child. For Sarah, uh, and for Samson's mom, and for Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, the inability to have children would have brought shame upon their lives. But this miracle in their life would remove that shame and disgrace from them. It would be quite a different story, though, for Mary, the mother of our Lord. Her pregnancy would not remove disgrace and shame. It would, in some ways, bring some shame and disgrace into her life. Of course, it would later be completely vindicated by what her son would do. Now, this is a reminder to us 
that when our Lord stepped down from glory, okay, as miraculous as it was, as amazing as it was, it's actually very humbling for him uh, because he's stepping down uh, from glory into a situation that is viewed by others in shame. Now, these other sons, when they're uh, spoken of by these angels, uh, it actually brings honor uh, to these parents. It removes their shame. So for all four of these women, they conceived, they bore sons at the word of an angel. But there is a further uh, thing here that, that we should note about Samson. The angel said that he will be a Nazarite from the womb, meaning not just when he's alive on the earth, but even before he was born, that God was placing him under this special vow. That's why his mother had to basically observe the ways of the Nazarite during her pregnancy, because whatever she ate and drank, her baby would eat and drink through her. Now, the Nazarite vow is talked about in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. We're not going to read it, but basically, uh, it's a voluntary vow that a person could choose to make for a designated period of time. During that time, the person had uh, three main stipulations. They were not to cut their hair. They were not to drink any produce of the vine, alcoholic or non-alcoholic. And they were not to have any contact with a dead body. Now, the reason for these stipulations is very simple. Not coming into contact with anything dead is a sign of cleanliness and purity. It was actually a stipulation that was placed on the priests for their entire lives. So by keeping it, it shows a higher level of purity and holiness. Not drinking wine showed a level of self-control, self-discipline, and self-denial. And by not cutting one's hair, it showed that you weren't concerned with worldly fashion and vanity. It, it showed that basically you weren't looking to the outside of how things looked, but you were concerned about the inside. Now, people would make these vows for a specific period of time, and it would be uh, particularly in a time of crisis, a time where you really need God's special help and favor. Now, this is where the story of Samson is ironic. The rest of what we're going to learn about him when it comes to his adult life is that Yes, he's living in a time of crisis because they are under the Philistine uh, oppression, okay? But everything this guy does is going to show that he lives in a way that is opposite to his vow. Everything that this, this Nazarite vow is supposed to mean, he is ultimately going to do the opposite of all of it. And really the only one that he kind of kept was not cutting his hair. Now, another, another interesting thing about this is that the angel told Samson's mother that he would begin to save his people from the Philistines. Not that he would actually save them, but that he would begin the process. And as history goes on, we will later see that David is, is the one who fil finishes off the Philistines, where after the time of David, uh, they really don't become a, a major issue uh, for the people of God anymore after David's time. 
So Samson gets it started. Others contribute along the way, and ultimately, David finishes that process. Now, all of this was such awesome news to Samson's mother that she ran to tell her husband and to explain uh, to, to him what she had seen and heard. She refers to the angel as a man of God, and he had the appearance of an angel of God. And that's where we're going to pick it up here in verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare for you a young goat. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on a rock to the Lord, to the one whose works who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. All right, so what do we have here? Well, it's not that Manoah did not believe his wife. Uh, he actually does believe her. And it's obvious that he believes her because when he prays, uh, what he's asking for is to know exactly how they are to raise the child when the child is born. So he wasn't praying, God, you know, did my wife really uh, talk to a man of God? Um, are these things really going to come true? No, he seems to believe that they are going to come true. Uh, but what he wants is specific instruction on how to raise the child. Now, we don't know how old these people were. Samson would be their first child, and every parent of multiple children can attest that you're usually more picky with the first one. Everything is new to you, and you tend to relax a bit as other children come along, partly because you're tired and partly because you just have more experience. Well, these people don't have that experience, and they're probably not newlyweds. And furthermore, this was obviously not going to be a normal child. 
I mean, who gets this kind of treatment for normal kids? You don't, you don't really get that. So this, this child is special. So he wanted to know specifics. Notice, though, that the angel does not give him any more specifics. He just repeats what he had already told the wife that, that she's supposed to do these things. Now, Manoah wanted to feed the angel, and that may have been a way of stalling hoping that he could still get uh, some information out of this mysterious person. He also asked the angel's name. The angel replied that basically his name is wonderful, which means it's beyond understanding. Now, this is yet another reason why we believe that this is a Christophany, because his name is wonderful. It's beyond our understanding. It's awesome. Now, instead of them having a meal together, which angels have done in the Old Testament up to this point, here, the angel just wanted Manoah to give an offering to the Lord. And once they made that offering, the angel displayed his glory by going up in the flame. That's when uh, Manoah and his wife finally knew uh, who they were dealing with. It was the angel of the Lord. Now, let's read on in verse 22. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Estoel. Now, apparently, Manoah was familiar with the Exodus story and the idea that no one could see the face of God and live. But his wife rightly reasoned that if the angel had meant to kill them, then they would already be dead. I mean, he, he wouldn't have uh, promised them a child. He wouldn't have accepted uh, the offering from them. Now, this shows us that faith and reason are not antithetical. Right? I mean, Manoah had faith. He had faith that no man should can see God and, and live. Right? He had faith that this really was uh, the, you know, the angel of the Lord. But his wife reasoned that even though, yes, they did see the angel of the Lord, and this was a very awesome experience, that God didn't mean them any harm. He meant to bless them. Now, uh, what we find out is that she does have a son, and she names the son Samson, which means little son. That's S-U-N, okay? Now, here's where uh, we have to say that those Samson's parents are people of faith. They still fit right within the greater culture of their day, okay? The son, S-U-N, was worshiped widely. His name was literally little Shemesh, Shemesh being the Canaanite god uh, for son, the Canaanite sun god. This again is another irony. His parents were visited by an angel of the Lord. Uh, he's going to be a deliverer of his people. You would think he would have a spiritual name that speaks of Yahweh, something like uh, Yahweh is my strength or Yahweh strengthens me or, or Yahweh is powerful or, or uh, Yahweh the deliverer or you know something like that, some, some name that's more Hebrew, and yet he ends up with a pagan name. Now, the name would later uh, come more into 
being more common in uh, among Hebrews, but you know this is originally a Canaanite name. But this is another way of foreshadowing what Samson's double life really was going to be like. Now, this last verse here is also a foreshadowing. The Spirit of the Lord began to interact with Samson in a unique way. We don't quite see that playing out in this chapter. We'll see how that works out in later chapters, okay? But in some kind of special, unique way, the Spirit of the Lord began to uh, work in Samson's life, began to come upon him, okay? This is very important that uh, children are able to have these spiritual experiences where they encounter God. Because in some way here, Samson is encountering uh, the Spirit of the Lord, even though we're not given those specifics. And it happens near his home. These towns that are mentioned here are not at all far uh, from where he lived. In fact, if you look at all of the towns that are mentioned in Samson's story, uh, he never really traveled more than four miles or so away from his hometown. Now, what's the takeaway from this chapter? Well, I think Manoah's insistence that the angel give them more details about how to raise the child and the angel's response should be an illustration to us. Instead of giving Manoah a list of to-dos and and don't do's, uh, he doesn't choose to do that at all. He instead reveals his glory by going up in the flame. That's when they finally understood who they were dealing with. Uh, Timothy Keller puts it this way. In the Old Testament, we get rules. In the New Testament, we get relationship. See, that's really the difference uh, between immaturity and maturity. The more immature a child is, the younger a child is, the more stipulations you have to put on them. The older a child gets, the less you should have to explain all of those uh, stipulations and have all of these rules because that child should be able to reason for themselves to some degree based on the things that they have already learned and seen and experienced. And this is where a lot of Christians struggle. It would be far easier if God always told us everything about everything every day. Instead, he leaves a lot to us. And that's because part of being a mature Christian is being able to make judgments and decisions based on the principles laid out for us in the word of God and the examples that God has put before us. It would be much easier if there was never any gray area, never any ambiguity. Instead of rendering a decision on everything for us, God gives us discernment. Now, you can know what pleases God when you know the character of God. God gave Manoah and his wife a greater revelation of who he was. And that's what you and I need to lean into. You don't have to have all the details of everything. You just need to know who holds all the details in his hand. Well, that's all we've got for you today on this episode. We will continue in the life of Samson. Oh, it's going to be epic as we talk about the things that he goes through, the things he does and experiences. And we're going to see a whole lot more irony on our next episode of By the Verse.